Well, folks, can we give a lovely Choose Life welcome to Pastor Mark Hodgins. Thank you. It was great to be here. And wasn't that a beautiful song by Pastor John and Jason? I think they can start a new band. And I have a name for you. Not I-N-J. J-N-J. It's Father's Day and it's great to be here. So I'm going to speak to you about the original father and the inventor of fathers. Uh, I love Father's Day because you have gifts and everything. It's just like Mother's Day. It's just cheaper. <laughs> I am sure that if someone would make an insulting insinuation or allegation about your father, you would immediately stand up and you would like to set the record straight and you would like to give the true facts about your father and tell people what he's really like. And in that song that was so beautiful because it speaks about all the stories that, that people have told about God. And if we want to find out who our father God is, we should go to Jesus because the mission, the main mission of Jesus is he said, I have come to declare the father to you. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And when Jesus lived his earthly life, there were already so many uh, wrong perceptions. Human tradition and religion distorted the image of, of his father. And uh, I, I want to focus on a parable that Jesus told where he is trying to explain to us who our father really is. And this parable is commonly known in English as the prodigal son. And it's found in Luke 15. So um, if you want to, I'm sure you're familiar with the parable. I'm, I'm not going to try and say something new. But hopefully what I'm going to share with you uh, would be something fresh. But the prodigal father is uh, a story that is 2,000 years old. But we still can identify with it today. In, in modern times, we can relate to it. So interesting that it's the longest parable recorded in the Gospels. But in most English translations, it still just is about 500 words. Uh, but one of the most memorable stories ever told. And I read that Charles Dickens, the well-known uh, English novelist, called this parable the greatest short story ever written. And uh, the famous American author Mark Twain is reported to have had the same opinion. And if you think about how many people have been inspired by this parable of the prodigal son, authors, preachers, uh, songwriters, poets, playwrights, singers, so many beautiful Christian songs, I'm going to quote one or two of them uh, about that. And even secular artists have recorded uh, songs entitled the prodigal son. The Rolling Stones had the song. The uh, heavy metal band Iron Maiden had a song, just don't go and look at the lyrics because there's nothing about the story that Jesus told. But um, it's so amazing how even artists were inspired by uh, this parable. And so many famous paintings I found, more than 200 recognized artists from about 25 nationalities 
who painted some scene in this parable, for instance, Rembrandt van Rijn, uh, the famous Dutch painter, did that even Salvador Dali with all his uh, weird paintings had one about the prodigal son. And uh, the traditional title given to this parable as I say, is, is the prodigal son. But what I want you to see is that the focus is really not about the, the prodigal son, the youngest son in this parable. The focus really is about the father, the loving, giving, and forgiving father. And so I've chosen as the title of my sermon, The Prodigal Father. It might seem like a big mistake, uh, and I might shock you, but I like that because Jesus, when he told the story, shocked the religious people. Um, because at that time, there was a similar story of the rabbis where a disobedient son um, had to kind of was rejected by his father. And in some versions, he had to uh, pay for his mistakes. He had to work to, regain, to repay his losses and to regain the favor of his father. But the story of Jesus was so radical because he came to show us what our heavenly father is like. And as I said, that's his, that was his mission. And religious views can so often warp the image of our Father God. And maybe you are here and you've, you've had this picture of God that is harsh and, and almost hateful and revengeful and a kind of a merciless judge. And sometimes even that picture is based on what people have experienced in their childhood because for some people they've just been exposed to the absence of a father or the apathy or abandonment or abuse even of a father and that can distort your perception of a loving father God so whatever your childhood experience has been you can learn from this parable how much our heavenly father actually loves you so what I also want to do this being Father's Day I want to focus on God the Father, but I also want to speak to fathers here, and I want to encourage you that if you have a wayward child, there's a lot that we can learn from this parable. So read it with me. If you have your Bibles, please keep them open even afterwards, because we're going to say quite a lot about different verses and different words here. In Luke 15 and verse 11, it speaks about Jesus that he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and has found. A simple but such a profound story and such a revelation about our Father God. So I'm not going to focus on the on the youngest son and, and his actions, or even the oldest son. I want to focus on the actions and the attitudes of the father in this parable because Jesus is trying to teach us something about our heavenly father. And the first action that we can recognize about this father is that the father released his son. Gave him his inheritance and released him. However, before I speak about releasing him, let me just give you some background of who this father was. And from what Jesus shared, here's what we understand, that he was quite wealthy because he could give his sons an inheritance. And the portion of the inheritance of this young man was quite substantial because it says it actually took a few days for him to get everything together. And uh, maybe the father gave him some goods because he asked for the goods. And he went and exchanged it at uh, Canaan cash converters in town. <laughs> and next door was a Palestine pawn shop. So he got cash for, for everything. And he could travel to a far country, it says, not just a neighboring town. And I know in that time they didn't have first class Travel, but I'm sure he had something like first class and KLM, KLM standing for camels, llamas, and mooses. <laughs> uh, and, and it's interesting to, to notice that he was reckless in his living. And by the way, that's where the word prodigal comes from. And it took him some time to, to actually squander all of his riches. Uh, another proof that this father was quite wealthy is that he had many hired servants and it says that they had plenty of, of good food. And when we read towards the end of the parable, we see that the father had top quality clothing because he says, bring the best robe. And incidentally, if we understand the Greek there, that word robe was not just an ordinary one, but it was a, a long fitting robe indicating a high social status. It's like an Armani jacket. And he gave him Prada shoes and a ring from Bulgari. 
So the father had a, a, a lot of money. We also assume that he had plenty livestock because he could slaughter a fattened calf. And incidentally, that word fattened calf in the Greek literally means a grain-fed calf. We think we invent new things and they already had them in the Bible. That calf was, was grain-fed. And grain-fed implies that the father probably had some grain fields. And from the words of the oldest son, we gather that he also had some goats and things. And lastly, it seems like this father had so much available to him that at very short notice, he could arrange a feast with lots of foods and, and music and, and dancing and everything was spiced up with, with freshly ground uh, red hot chili peppers, black eyed peas, meatloaf, and some smashing pumpkins. And cranberries for dessert. And hot chocolate with vanilla ice. And with your coffee you could enjoy a limp biscuit and some m and <laughs> Personally, I just believe he had more wholesome music than that. But so Jesus is firstly trying to teach us that our Heavenly Father is the richest person in the universe. He has all these things available. All the animals, the wild birds, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the farm. He's not in short supply. And when you ask him for something, he's not gonna say, listen, the people in Europe, they were first, first come, first served. I have nothing left. God is wealthy and generous. And there's no shortage in heaven. He didn't have to lay off some angels. There's no load shedding in heaven. There's enough power, enough of everything. So what Jesus is trying to, to teach us is not only is our father rich, but he's extremely generous. And I want to come back to that when I speak about the title again. Um, so this youngest son had a very unusual request because he asks his father for a share of his estate before the father actually died. Interesting, when you go and study in the Old Testament, there was a Jewish law that actually allowed a son to claim his inheritance while the father was still alive. But the essence of that law was to protect children that, uh, who were ill-treated. So this was exceptional, and it was not looked upon favorably. And the fact that he was the youngest son was even a bigger insult. And incidentally, there's another Jewish law that said this. If a son was rebellious, he could be stoned to death. So this son was deserving of death. And it was not a request. It was rather a, a demand that, that he gave. And it was an act of rebellion, an act of rejection, actually saying to the father, you know good to me while you're alive. And there's something quite interesting that, again, we cannot understand if we, unless we understand what the, what the Greek language says here. But in verse 12 of Luke 15, uh, you see the different approaches that the son had of his inheritance and that the father had. Because the son says, give me the portion of goods. He saw it as possessions, just as, as, as property. But when the father speaks about it, he uses another word and he says, here is your livelihood. 
For the father, it was something that he worked for and lived for his whole life. Now, despite all of this, uh, these negative things and, and the bad attitude of, of the son, the father not only released the inheritance, but he released his son. I'm sure with a lot of regret over the son's rebellion and rejection. But it says in verse 13 that the son moved to a distant land. He wanted to get as far away from his father as possible. What can we learn about our heavenly father here? You see, God made you. He blessed you. He gave you life. And God wants you to thrive and to flourish in his house under his authority. But so often people reject God. They turn their back on Him. And they want to get as far away as possible from Him. And Jesus is trying to say to us that God still loves you. He's given you a free will. But He'll never force you to love Him. He'll never put pressure on you to stay in fellowship with Him. So if you walk out on God, He will not stop you. But he will not stop loving you. He keeps on loving. And that's what we need to realize as fathers today. Loving is risky business. Because if you love, you cannot force someone to love you back. Love will let go. And so if you have wayward children, let me encourage you. Keep on loving your rebellious child. Don't give up on them. God kept on loving you. God knows the pain that you feel. He sees the hope that you have. And he'll honor that. The second action of this father is that the father looked out for his son. Because obviously he was concerned about his son. And with good reason. Because the son landed himself in a bad situation uh, that gradually worsened. If you read the story, it says that... um, that the, the country where he was uh, experienced a famine and it just happened at the time when he squandered all of his money and he actually, where he was totally independent, he became dependent on someone and had to find some work. And it says that he hired himself out and again in the Greek it says the following, the word literally means he glued himself to someone else. That's the level of his dependence that he had. He couldn't live without the support of that person. And he had to do the most menial and mucky of jobs, especially for a young Jewish boy. Had to look after unclean animals, pigs. He became a pig herder instead of the master of an estate. And I see the degrees of comparison uh, of how bad it became. Maybe he was a shepherd and then he became a hoggard and a coward. Okay, some of you will get that when you, when you get home. <laughs> but here he's, he's looking after, after pigs, and eventually the pig slob started looking like dainty delicacies for him. And he desperately even wanted to, to uh, join in their meal, but they didn't invite him. And I'm sure all of his friends deserted him and left him. And someone put it this way, they said... Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. 
Till finally the son left, uh, who left home came to his senses. It says that he came to himself. He probably realized, I have no resources within myself. He had to realize his lostness. But I want you to see this. It was not his lostness. It was not the badness of his situation that caused him to repent. It was when he called to mind the goodness of his father. Because it says in verse 17 that he remembered that even the hired servants in his father's house had plenty of food to eat. It was the goodness of his father. And that's what the Bible says about us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So he had two choices, either to wallow in the mire or to swallow his pride. And he chose the second option because swallowing his pride at least gave him something to eat. <laughs> so he decided to make his way back. And here's what I love in verse 20. It says, while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming from far off must have been looking out for him every day must have wondered when is he coming back how is he doing interesting at that time if you were a prosperous farmer and you had a vineyard they would sometimes build a tower in the middle of the vineyard and maybe he had something like that and he would climb up in the tower and use it as a lookout or maybe just at the end of each day would walk to the gate where he last saw his son disappearing over the horizon and he had this longing, this yearning, this aching in his heart that maybe one day he'll see his son again. And then, I like what Jesus says, one day, Still very far off, he sees this figure, this stooped, shabby shape, shabby shape, just coming along the road, and he and he sees something familiar in it, but I, but he thinks it cannot be my son because my son was proud. He, he had his head up high, and now he's shuffling along, and then he looked familiar, and he saw him coming. Afar off, and he knew his longing became reality. And Jesus again is trying to teach us something about the Father here. And you know, there's a scripture in, in the book of James where it says, Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Here's how religion has changed that. Religion says, Draw away from God, and he'll draw away from you. But it's not true. Because the amazing thing is, God will always pursue you. From the beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and they tried to hide from God, what did he do? He came after them and he called out and asked, where are you? The first question in the Bible. Did God not know where they were? Of course he knew because he's omniscient. What was that question about? Adam and Eve, I'm giving you an opportunity so that you can fellowship with me again, so that you can come back. God will keep on pursuing you. He came to look for Adam and Eve. This prodigal uh, son, the, his father was, was waiting for him. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. He's the good shepherd going after the lost sheep. It's a beautiful song by a man called Gary Paxton. American pop singer, songwriter. 
And he shares his testimony how, how he tried to find peace and happiness in alcohol, drugs, and sex, etc. And one day in an intoxicated state, he actually stumbled into a church and had a life-changing encounter with God. And he writes about that in a song. And, and a line in that song says, he was there all the time. While I was looking for all these other things, he was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. God is waiting for the wayward person to come back. Rainer Bonker says that Christianity is the only religion where God seeks man. And it's not so much about man seeking God. Can I address the fathers, the people? The parents here again, if you have wayward children, don't stop looking. Don't stop longing and loving and hoping and praying. Keep your eyes on the horizon and stand on the promises of God. The third action of this father is that this father felt compassion for his son. And I like um, what it says in the Living Bible that he was filled with loving pity. Genuine compassion. Now keep in mind, this is before the son had an opportunity to say, I am sorry. He already had compassion for him. And what does Jesus uh, teach about our heavenly father? Our father has compassion on sinners. Now I don't want you to, to misunderstand me here. We should have godly sorrow. That's what the Bible speaks about. But I want to say it's not your sorrowful tears that will wash away your sins. It's the merciful blood of Jesus. Amen. It's not your penitence that will purchase your pardon. It's the Father's pity and passion. And what I love about this, it was not just a superficial or a shallow kind of, of compassion. The Greek word translated here as, as having compassion actually uh, uh, means, it, it speaks about your spleen. And it means to have the inner organs yearning, wrenching, aching with empathy. To, to experience great affection or compassion from the heart. We have similar uh, sayings in English when we say it was gut-wrenching. It was heartbreaking. And it's the same word describing Jesus in the Gospels where it says Jesus was moved with compassion. That's the kind of compassion that God has for us. And again, let me say to the fathers, don't ever lose your compassion for your children and demonstrate it. Be moved. Do something for them. Brings us to the next action of the father. Number four, the father ran to the son. It says in verse 20 that he ran out. He didn't wait for the son to complete the journey. He started running towards him. Now I want you to keep this in mind. That father wasn't a young man any longer. And especially for wealthy people at that time. He was a man of status. In the Middle East of that time, older men, and especially men of dignity, did not run. And if you can think about this, he had this long-fitting robe. He had to actually pick up his robe and in an undignified manner run towards his son. Because he loved him so much. He was prepared to cast out to cast aside all conventions of proper behavior. And what did we learn about our Heavenly Father? 
He's a running God. He's a God that will run towards you. It's a beautiful scripture in Hebrews where it says we can say with confidence God is our helper. And that word helper is so interesting. It's a compound word made up of two words, cry and run. And it literally means when I cry, he runs to me. He's my helper. Hallelujah. God can run. <laughs> this was a radical message that God is prepared to do that. Max Lucado, American preacher and author, says this. When prodigals trudge up the path, God cannot sit still. Heaven's throne room echoes with a sound of slapping sandals and pounding feet. And angels watch in silence as God embraces his child. You run toward, you turn toward God and he runs towards you. Hallelujah. I want to put it this way. God's grace is galloping towards you. It says his grace abounds to us. There's a gospel group in America called Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And all the three of these guys are pastors. And they have one song. Uh, and I want you to hear just some of the lyrics because... They start off by describing God's splendor and His majesty and His dignity and the fact that he, he has stability and immutability. But then it states the surprising fact about God. It starts off and it says, Almighty God, the great I am, immovable rock. And then it says, the only time I ever saw Him run was when He ran to me. Took me in His arms, held my head to His chest. Said, my son's come home again. Lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes. With forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, do you know I still love you? It caught me by surprise when God ran. They have another song that says, mercy came running like a prisoner set free past all my failures to the point of my need. When the sin that I carried was all I could see. And when I could not reach mercy, mercy came running to me. That's our father. He's a God of mercy. Fathers, parents, keep on aggressing towards your children with love and with grace. Next action of the father he embraced and kissed his son. Luke 15 verse 20 says, he threw his arms around him. And again in the Greek, it's an intense hug here. It actually says he fell on his neck. And I want you to keep this in mind. He just came from the pigs. What did he smell of? Guess. No, not guess. <laughs> Probably more fragrance by Hoggo Boss. <laughs> or Pico Raban. <laughs> or Empokio Armani. Jean Paul Gruntier. <laughs> Dolce Gabacon. <laughs> Tommy Hilpiger. <laughs> or Calvin Swine. It wasn't pleasant. 
stinking of pigs, the smelly slop. And the father didn't say to him, go and clean up yourself first. He hugged him in his stinky state. (laughs) Because the father's love would cleanse him. Another thing that it says, it says that he kissed him. And again, it's not the usual uh, uh, Greek verb for kissing here. It's the same verb, but it has a prefix uh, which actually intensifies it. And it actually means to kiss much or fervently or to kiss again and again. And I want you to see this picture of your heavenly father. He's a hugging God. He's a kissing God. He's not a judgmental God. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. With all your dirt, with all your sin. He says, I'll clean you up. And again, just a word to parents. Embrace your children with all their failures. Keep on showing love. Next action of the father. He actually restored his son. Forgave him and restored him. If you read from verse 17 onwards, it actually speaks about the fact that the son was rehearsing his repentance speech. And he was going to say, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer to be called your, uh, worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. And it's amazing when the father uh, welcomed him back, when he embraced him and kissed him, he never allowed him to finish that rehearsed speech. Because before he could say, treat me like one of your hired servants, he stopped him in the middle and he said to his servants, bring the best robe. I want to restore him back as my son. And he took away his ignominy and he dressed him with a robe of dignity, removed his poverty And gave him the the ring of prosperity. Changed his slavery by giving him the shoes of liberty. And ended his misery by giving him a feast of ecstasy. What abundant, excessive mercy. And that brings me to the title again. The prodigal father. You see, the word prodigal for us means lost, wayward. But that's not what the Greek means, and it's not even what the English word means. And if you look at the Greek word, it actually says this about prodigal. It actually means excessive. With abandonment. It speaks about not holding anything back. Extravagant. That's why it could be translated wasteful. But I want you to see where the younger son was wasteful with these these, uh, goods. The father was excessive in his love and mercy. We serve a prodigal father. A father who does not skimp on mercy. He's not a miser of mercy. He's not a pity pincher. (laughs) He gives in abundance. And again, a word to the fathers. Be excessive. Be lavish with your love. Be extravagant with your grace and mercy. The last action of the father is that the father rejoiced over the son. It's interesting. The trilogy of of parables taught in in Luke 15, the the lost coin, the lost sheep, and, and the lost son, every one of those parables ended with rejoicing. 
And here, if you read from verse 25, uh, 22 onwards, it speaks about a feast, about celebration, about music and dancing, not just a meal, a party, <laughs> a celebration. And, and, and I, I noticed this, that, that the oldest son heard the music and the dancing. Now, it's, I can still understand that you can hear music, but you have to dance hard for people to hear your dancing. And Jesus is still teaching us about our Heavenly Father. Everybody was happy. Everybody joined in in kind of a circle dancing that they used to have in those times. The only one that didn't join in was the oldest son. In fact, there were just two that were not happy because the lost son returned. The oldest son and the fattened calf. (laughs) But when you read this parable, it's actually interesting. Both sons were actually alienated from the father. The one physically departed from the father. The other one emotionally distanced himself from the father. And please, this parable is not about the good character of the older son. In fact, um, the older son represented the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people. Jesus told them this parable if you check in verse 1. He's saying the tax collectors and the sinners are like the youngest son. But you, Pharisees, scribes, you religious people, you often, you're so religious that when God shows mercy to a filthy sinner, you are unhappy about it. And the attitude of this son was, he said to his father, I served you for many years. He depended on his works. He said, I've never disobeyed your command. He focused on the law. He said, I've, I've never been given a young goat by you. That revealed his, his attitude of ingratitude. He said, I've never been given an opportunity to celebrate. It shows his feelings of resentment. And so often religious people can develop that kind of thing. Religious people get angry when God shows excessive grace to sinners. They can be jealous about others who are undeservingly blessed. Let me... Tell you this, every blessing that, that anyone can have is always undeserved. And the father says to him, listen son, all that I have is yours in any case. You still have your inheritance. And here's what blesses me about that father. As much as he ran out towards his, his son that came back, when the older son didn't come into the house, the father went out. God pursues sinners and religious people. He loves them. Hallelujah. Loves them both. So there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, Jesus said. And I want to conclude with this verse out of Zephaniah. Really, it's a book like that. Zephaniah 3.17 And God speaks to Israel and it says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Hallelujah. God is actually rejoicing over you. It says he'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. That that word singing actually means a shrill sound, a ringing shout of joy. But I like 
the second word for rejoice because it actually means to spin around under the influence of a forceful emotion of joy. God is not just a running God. He's not just a hugging God. He's not just a kissing God. Jesus is so radical. He says God is a dancing God. He dances over you. He rejoices over you. Hallelujah. Parents, let's rejoice over our children, even if we do it by faith. Amen. Now, what is interesting about this parable, we don't know how the story ended. Because it's, it's actually an example of what we in, in, in modern day would call a serialized story. It's, it's like a movie with an ending that leaves it open to viewers to write their own conclusion. And here's the beautiful thing about this parable. You can write your own ending. Doesn't matter which character in the parable you are. If you're the youngest son, you can stay in the house. If you're the oldest son, you can come into the house and then join the party. Because God wants you to be blessed in his house. That's the loving father that I want to present to you. The prodigal, loving, giving, forgiving, excessive father. Let's stand. I want to pray for you today and maybe you can see yourself in one or even more of the characters in this parable. If you're a wayward child, God is waiting for you to come back. And, and he, he, he's not pointing a finger of accusation at you. It's actually holding arms of acceptance and welcome out to you. It's time to come back home. Maybe you've recognized in yourself some of the attitude of the older son. You're so caught up in religion that sometimes you cannot rejoice when somebody walks into this church and they don't even smell good. Maybe God has spoken to you about being a father, being a parent, and loving that, that wayward child. So whatever God has spoken to you about, I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you that here's such a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the original Father, the good, good Father. Thank you that you love the wayward people, that you invite them to come back. And if there's somebody here that wants to come back, wants to come into your house. Thank you for welcoming them. And as they receive Jesus and receive all the, the beautiful gifts, the robe of righteousness, everything else that you have for them, that you'll change their lives, that they'll never doubt that they are children of God from this day onward. If there's anybody here that had a religious attitude, condemning, judgmental, legalistic kind of attitude, Forgive us for that, Father. Help us to rejoice over sinners. Because you loved us while we were sinners yet. 
Help us to be glad when, when you bless someone else that we think is undeserving. And I pray especially for fathers today here, Lord. Help us, help all of the parents here to show unconditional love in an excessive, extravagant, prodigal way. And we love you, Father. And we thank you for all of this.